<laughs> so the phone would ring and my mom worked for us for a while and she'd say, you know, she'd mute the phone and say, there's somebody here to talk to you about whatever. So then you'd go pick up that other phone and hang up the first phone and, you know. Like, like the party line. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <Okay. laughs> you were one step short of running between different rooms and doing different voices. Right. Exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> Mom, may I help you? Hang on just a minute. Yes, this is Casey. <laughs> This is the Generally Accepted Accounting Podcast. That's GAP for all you accounting nerds. It's a podcast produced by Casey Peterson, LTD. We're a firm of CPAs and financial advisors based in Rapid City, South Dakota. We'll be talking about tax, finance, accounting, audit, and a bunch of other topics that sound really boring, but that we're going to make hip and cool. Or we'll try anyway. So stick around to learn more. For this episode, we're doing something a little different. Wait, do we say that for every episode? Anyway, we sat down to talk with our firm's founder, Casey Peterson, the man himself, the guy whose name is on the building. Casey started the firm in 1977, and he talked about his decision to do so, what challenges he's seen in the past 45 years, the things that have surprised him the most, and what gives him hope, maybe a little concern, for the future. And for some reason, Minecraft comes up too, and we're still not entirely sure how that happened, but it all ties in. Anyway, listen to learn more about how Casey Peterson LTD came to be. One of the things that, that I think about is just financial health okay. and how that impacts people's lives. For a lot of people, we've become so specialized that yeah. to understand finances, right. it's just like a foreign language, and unfortunately, that affects their life. Right. It's not a mindset that a lot of people are either raised with or taught. Mm -hmm. you, you come to be an adult, and there's all these expectations of, hey, you have to manage your own stuff now. And it's like, what? Oh, no. I don't know how to do yeah. that. Yeah. I don't know how to manage a budget. I don't know what these expenses are. I like, don't know how to do my taxes. I think you should start in high school. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or even grade school. Yeah. We joke about that a lot. Like, I don't know how to do anything, but I sure know how to play hot cross buns on the Yeah. Or play Minecraft, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, that would actually be smart. You could integrate money with something like Minecraft or, you know. Yeah. Something that would get kids involved and kind of like, oh, yeah, if I add six, that, you know, whatever. 30% of my resources yeah. to <laughs> my tax break. Yeah. <laughs> I saw but, somewhere they were saying, like, that, I don't remember what the exact numbers were, but it was, you know, you whatever you retain after so many repetitions, unless you make it a game, and then yeah. that number just goes exponentially I higher. Suppose. Yeah. So anytime you make something... Yeah. A game, yeah. Then, sure, you are going to remember it. That'd be cool. It would be. So, welcome to our podcast. Well, thank you. Casey Peterson. <laughs> yeah, this is fun. <laughs> yes, it is a good time. Um, so, we wanted to have you on the podcast for a couple of different reasons. One was we thought that for our existing employees, this would be really interesting to hear about the guy whose name is on the building. Um, <laughs> because probably not everybody has had a chance to meet you. We have folks in a lot of different locations. Yes. Um, and to get your perspective about what it was like when you started the firm, what your perspective is now, what you've seen over 45 plus years of being in this business, and then just kind of have you talk about all that stuff and, and more around that. So okay. when you started the firm in 1977, what, what made you at that point decide, yeah, I'm gonna start, I'm gonna start an accounting firm in Western South Dakota? <laughs> Good question. Uh, <laughs> actually, it had been on my mind for a while. I did a lot of different jobs when I was growing up. I started out in a grocery store at the meat counter Oh, yeah. You know, you love slicing meat. And, Very satisfying. You know, but if you work there and you get to eat the ends, <laughs> by the end of the job, you don't want any more. That's <laughs> enough know, deli meat for, enough. One, yeah, yeah, for right. one lifetime. Yeah, I'm done. You've seen how it's made. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I've 
put farm equipment together and farmed and worked at a dry cleaner. And all through that, I, I just looked at things that were running the way they were, but they could be better. Mm-hmm. And so I wasn't sure what to do in college. My dad said, you know, Vermilion has a really good accounting program. I don't know how I knew that. He was a teacher and a coach, but he did. The local town doctor said, I'll send you through medical school. You can come back. But when I got to his house, he had like 300 cuckoo clocks and was never home. And I went, nope, not that one. <laughs> so anyway, long story short, I went to Vermilion and kind of wasn't sure about accounting, to be honest. It took until I was a junior to really think that this was it. But all along, I felt like I wanted to be in business on my own. And, you know, I did a few things that were unconventional. When we lived in California, we'd come back to South Dakota. I'd buy fireworks, take them back out there and sell them to my friends. Um, <laughs> That's well, probably still a thing in some yes, respects. I bet yeah, it is. Yeah. I bet so, it is. you know, it was just kind of fun to understand business. And uh, my family were ranchers and entrepreneurs, so it was kind of natural. So anyway, when I got out of school, I worked for a CPA firm in Sioux Falls. And again, saw some things that I thought could be better. And we could talk about those. But ultimately, came to Rapid City, worked for a private company, Northwestern Engineering, and knew that there was an opportunity here. There was basically two firms, Dunmire Short, Tobias Paulson, and then Cadel Thorstenson. And they were both fairly large at the time. And I knew that there would be an opportunity to kind of come in in that market and create a different way of doing business, a different way to treat customers, a different way to treat employees. And so a small bookkeeping service came up for sale, Black Hills Bookkeeping. And uh, I wanted to buy it. I had some money and had a friend who I'd gone to college with who knew a guy that was running the business side of Black Hills University and was looking to come back to Rapid City. So I bought it. He came down and helped run it. It was located over the brass rail in downtown Rapid City. Mm-hmm. It was I very. Got, I gotta imagine you gotta get some good clients so, no, yeah. coming out of the brass yeah. rail. <laughs> well, and the coffee breaks were interesting too. <laughs> um, so we started there, and and I worked full time for Northwest Engineering, and then uh, at night and weekends would come in and work because I'd been through a couple tax seasons in Sioux Falls and kind of knew what was going on. So. That went along for a while, and we had this elderly gentleman, Bob Purdy, I really liked him. He came in and helped us. He was, you know, 50s, 60s, but really had a lot of experience, and he just liked to do tax returns. Well, unfortunately, he went down to the brass rail and had a stroke, and um, we were kind of impaired. And so I went to Mr. Adelstein, and I said, Stan, I I hate to do this. You've been good to me. I've got an investment here, and it's, you know, i got to get it going. So I quit and started working full-time there. Uh, We moved to Kansas City Street then, location, um, and that was in a building that Stan Adelstein and Northwest Engineering controlled. Mm -hmm. In doing that, I knew that computers were going from the room-sized IBMs down to desk size. They called them mini-computers. And uh, so I went around town trying to borrow enough money to buy one of those because I knew that electronic bookkeeping would beat the stuffing out of doing it by hand. Yeah. And nobody else was doing it in town. So those desktop computers were like $25,000. Oh, my God. And the floppy disks were about as big as this tablet that I'm holding. $25,000 in that money then, yes. too. Right. Uh, yeah. Today's money. Not today's I mean. money. Yep. And so I tried to borrow money from Northwest Bank, which is now Wells Fargo. U.S. Bank, I'd worked there for a summer as an intern. Tried to lease it and borrow it there. And couldn't get it done. Um, it was very disappointing. But one day I was walking down the street, and this young guy was coming out of American State Bank, and 
So I started talking to him, told him what I was trying to do, and he said, well, do you have any kind of collateral? And I said, well, I might have a CD. My folks might sign. And so my folks signed. We borrowed 25000 and immediately it took off. We had a client that really liked what we were doing, and so they had a CPA there. We'd enter the books. Uh, he would come in and do some things, and then we'd let it run all night to process the monthly year-end because they had a lot of locations but again it was pretty archaic and so we bought a second one and it was delivered Uh, we took it upstairs on the St. Joe side and then ultimately in 1980 we moved to Kansas City Street and we just kind of cruised along like that but we were growing fairly rapidly because the other thing that I did was in 1977 South Dakota Board of Accountancy said CPAs can advertise so took out a print ad in Rep City Journal and they ran an article saying hey Here's a CPA that's advertising, you know, very unique, very edgy at the time. Cutting edge. edge. Yeah, guess what? Now we're... Were you the first one that you know of in the state or in the area? In the state. In the state to do that. Yeah, and so we got statewide publicity for that, which was kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. But it just kind of, again, put us on the map. And so by doing that, we kept growing. And then in 1986, uh, President Reagan passed the uh, Tax Reform Act. Mm -hmm. And what's important about that get through all of the gobbledygook and counties is they started tracking passive and active activities. Mm-hmm. And it was a very complex calculation. And we said, okay, rather than do returns by hand and fill them in by hand, we better go to PCs. Right. So now we're in the PC world and, and the rest is kind of history. I mean, now we're carrying phones that are five times right. more powerful than the PC at the time. But we went from PDP-8, the mini computer with the 11-inch floppy disk, to now we're cloud-based, and you know the re- that's the rest of the story. Wow. So anyway, that's that's why it got started, was it was just fun. I don't necessarily like numbers. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a tool, but what I really liked and at that time and even now is helping people with their problems and understanding the strategy to make money, to create wealth, to, to do business. I mean, that was really kind of turned me on and made me excited about what I'm doing. Yeah. When you quit your job um, at NWE and we're going to go start doing this full time, did you have a moment of just a little bit of panic? Like, I'm, I'm all in on this. Um, I'm rolling the dice here. This is either make or break or I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do. Was there that moment? It's a really good question. And, and it kind of brings up something that took place. At that time, I wasn't sure. You know, I was making fairly good money. and But I had a little school debt when I got out. And so I was talking to my dad and my mom, and they were both really good counselors for me. And my dad said, you know, son, you never get anywhere in life without commitment. Mm-hmm. And I went, yep, I got it. So <laughs> went in all in, and, and to be honest, it wasn't easy. I think for like 18 months, I didn't take any money out. But I'd saved enough, and I was living in a humble enough place and had the car paid for that I could make it work. Sure. But it did take some time for it to kind of build up enough clientele whip as we know work in progress and Mm -hmm. accounts receivable and be able to buy some equipment i mean it's funny we had one telephone line coming in and we had a cord that stretched like through two offices so that you could have an office in the or a telephone in the back office (laughs) so the phone would ring and my mom worked for us for a while and she'd say you know she'd mute the phone say there's somebody here to talk to you about whatever so then you'd go pick up that other phone and hang up the first phone and you know like, like the party line <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> so you were one step short of running between different rooms and doing different voices right exactly right yeah <laughs> no, may I help you hang on just a minute 
Yes, this is Casey. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. Um, so you said that there was when you when you got after you were done working doing internships, there were ways that you saw business being done, and you thought that there was a better way to do that. What were some of the things that you that struck you as a better way to do that? Well, one example was the um, CPA firm. I had a had picked up a client, which was again just blessing pennies from heaven or whatever you want to call it that had gone bankrupt and relocated to Sioux Falls. Um, and they started bugging me to work for them. Mm-hmm. I mean, they doubled my salary and it was, money wasn't everything. I mean, and that's been the theme all along, but I went to my boss, Jerry Noonan. They had talked about going to Rapid City, having an office. And I was very interested in that because family was all out here. I mean, I go way back in Western South Dakota. So I went to him, I said, Jerry, I have a problem. I said, Janie Mason's doubled my salary. He wants me to work for them and be the treasurer. It's a public company. But I said, I'm more interested in going to Rapid City. Well, he got mad. He got mad and said, well, we're going to go with or without you. Oh. And it was like, okay, that's really not the answer. I mean, right. I, wasn't look- I said, I'm not looking for a commitment, but do I have a chance? And he didn't answer with, yes, you do, or no, you don't. It was just, we're going to go with or without you. It was like... That's not what I'm asking. Yeah, and so... <laughs> I'm not trying to turn this into, like, <laughs> right. bargaining chip. Right. I'm asking for an answer. Yeah, I just, just, do I have a chance? If I got a shot, I'm not going to take it. So I went to work for the oil and gas company. Mm-hmm. And I learned a lot there. It was three years behind in SEC filings and audits and tax returns. And so I ground through all of that. And that helped me prepare to come to work for Stan, because uh, they had some issues we worked through. But... But the bottom line was when I was there, and I understand being under pressure, but the guy I worked for, I liked a lot, but man, he was volatile, mm-hmm. you know, very volatile and he had a lot going on. But again, I looked at that and went, you know, there's a better way to treat people and to, to conduct yourself in the office. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it kind of went through those times in the 60s and 70s where it was pretty much top down chain of command. This is it. And I thought, you know, there's a better way. I would watch people at work, co-workers that would come up with ideas, and I'd think, those are great, and they could just get shut down. You know, or you'd get the attitude like Jerry did. And Jerry taught me a lot, and I have a lot of respect for him, but I was really disappointed in that. So, again, those are just some of the things that I saw that just didn't make sense. And it's like, there's a better way to do this. Right. So don't know if that explains it, but... Yeah, no, that's, no. A, I think that's good. But I think that feels like the way that the firm at least from my perspective, operates that anybody can come up with an idea, that it doesn't feel like there is all this hierarchy, that everything is pushed from the top down. Anybody yeah. can have an idea. Anybody at any time is, can go to any shareholder with an idea or a concern or whatever. It doesn't feel like you have to go through all these layers of bureaucracy or anything yeah, like that. Yeah. So well, You'll have an idea, and then suddenly there's a meeting on it next week. It's getting approved <laughs> by the board, and you're like, okay, well, I guess that was a good thing. Yeah, we're up and running. <laughs> yeah. right. Well, and that, that's why I love the term Sally is dead. Same as last year. Yeah. I mean, you, you constantly have to innovate. And that's, I mean, that's one of the principles that I felt like we brought to the firm is innovation and entrepreneurship. Be constantly on the outlook for opportunity. Listen to your clients. Uh, listen to your employees. You know, what's going on? What are you hearing? What, what's, what opportunities are there? And so that's why we've been through medical billing and healthcare consulting and, you know, financial planning and investment. And some have worked and some have not. But the bottom line is the firm has grown and it's a real solid position. Yeah. And you have to try things and you have to be willing to fail at them. Mm-hmm. And it isn't, I mean, it isn't really even failure. It's just trying to see what sticks. That's yep. all. Yep. So. Yep. Fail forward. Yep. Yep. You'll learn something from it either way. So. Yep. Exactly. 
So you talked a lot about the technology that changed uh, in the 45 plus years. Was there anything else or was that the most surprising change that you saw or was there something else that surprised you equally or more? I would say technology is is definitely one of the things. Um, The other one that that I really like, and it kind of goes to what we talked about as we started to stage this podcast, and that is that, and it came came to me (laughs) at a friend, she's a sculptor, and um, she said to me, you know, you know more about people than anybody else. And I sat there for a minute, it was kind of one of those, you know, lightning moments, and I went, yeah, we know about their health care, we know about their money, we know about their children. Mm-hmm. We know about their business. The doctor doesn't know that. The attorney might know some of it. Maybe if they have a spiritual counselor, priest, or, you know, minister, or counselor, they do. But bottom line is CPAs and accountants get deep into people's lives. Mm-hmm. And so it's really important that we understand how to communicate the psychology of behavior mm-hmm. and how to help people. And then that leads into helping them with their financial health. That's, you know, the financial planning. That's the strategy of saving taxes, the the way to invest money to gain wealth. I mean, all of that wasn't in our world. I mean, we were, you know, compliance oriented. You have to do an audit, financial statement, or you got to do a tax return. Two-dimensional. That was it. But it's changed now to where... People will come to us, and maybe it's the way we've done business, but they will sit down and say, I just need to bounce something off you. I just mm-hmm. need to strategize. I need to. I need your feedback on this. Because they know we get to see hundreds of situations and different businesses, different investment schemes. Don't call them schemes. Investment opportunities. <laughs> um, so that's been one of the big changes, and that's frankly been very uh, comforting mm-hmm. and welcoming for me because that's – Ultimately, where's the value? It's helping people with their situation. Yeah. No, and it's nice to it's nice to be trusted by people um, beyond the fact that they pay us to do a service, just to have them come and feel that they can talk to you about whatever it is that's bothering them or keeping them up at night. That mm-hmm. they can they feel like you will listen to them and give them good advice, and they can follow it, and and that will help them. That's mm-hmm. that's pretty cool. Not a lot of people get to say that they yeah. do that. Well, you know, Rick Kaler's here in town is one of the pioneers in the psychology of behavior and money. Mm-hmm. And and uh, I really respect what he's done because that's where we need to work with people. Mm-hmm. You know, some people have a phobia about money. Mm-hmm. As we talked earlier, you can get a PhD that doesn't know the first thing about reconciling a checkbook or how do I, you know, pay this bill. You know, they need help. They're, they've got a phobia about money or a block or just don't care and they need help. It's one of those things where, I, in, you know, some families it's kind of taboo to talk about almost or mm-hmm. workplaces or, or anywhere. It's like, ooh, don't talk about money. That's like a dirty subject. Right. Don't talk yep. about politics, money, or religion. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, kind of and years ago, you know, and, and again, I think that's changed. And I was, I guess I was different. I remember as a kid, you know, we'd go out to a ranch or something and I'd say, well, how many acres are here or how many head of cattle do you have? And I remember one guy saying, well, that's like me asking you, how many dollars do you have in the bank? How many CDs do you have in the bank? And so it struck me that, you know, there are some privacy or secretive issues about that. Mm -hmm. That's changed a lot because we have so much information that's personal and shared on the Internet. I mean, you can go out and use that X (laughs) app and find out who owns this certain piece of land and how many acres it is. And so 
I know that's changed, but you're right. It, long time ago, 40, 50 years ago, you just didn't talk about money. And, and you were bothered because the state had a personal property tax form and you had to fill out, well, I have this much in CDs and yeah. this much in retirement account. You know, And that was even intrusive and you were just telling the state how much and writing them a check. You right, know? But yeah. Anyway. <laughs> no, it's true. And a lot of people, I think even still today, tie up their identity with not only their position, but also how much money they have in the bank, how much money mm-hmm. they make, that's all tied into who they are as a person. And so feeling like they might get judged for whatever that number is, the same kind of thing. What surprised you the most in your time in these last 45 plus years? That's a really good question. I, I Probably the biggest surprise has been technology. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the practice has expanded. Yes, it's gone from just tax return and audit to, you know, helping people with finances, doing projections of their life cycles, all that, but you couldn't do it without technology. You couldn't do it without computers and programs and cloud and programmers that wrote these things. So I would say that's probably the biggest surprise. And the other one is the movement towards more advisory. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would say those two things. Like away from just the your tax returns and yeah. audits and things like that, too. Yeah. Went away from the ledger page and the green eye shade to, you know what, <laughs> I'm going to sit down with this person because they're smart and they've seen a lot and I'm going to get their feedback. Yeah. Instead of me having the same conversation with them year after year yeah. after year about the same problems, let's yeah. figure out what the root of the problem yeah. is. Yeah. Well, the fact that you can sit down with somebody from a Vantex and you know kind of get a picture of your financial situation yeah. years into the future, and they can mm-hmm. change variables, and that graph can change according to other life circumstances. That's a lot farther than, well, I have money in the bank. I hope it lasts me till I die. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, and I, I, you make a good point, Evan, that, that we can demonstrate to people what their life can look like. There's no, no guarantee. Right. But I, I heard somebody call it this, and I kind of like that. Is, do you choose to have the beer and the fridge and the boat and the driveway, or do you want to retire, you know, honorably? And so, <laughs> you know, people can make those choices. They can say, yeah, I want that motorhome, but guess what? I'm not. I'm going to have to work a little longer. Yep. Right. Or I'm going to have to, you know, sell the big house and move into a little one. And So it gives people a lot more options. Mm-hmm. And I think this is the first time, I mean, I've been saving for retirement most of my career, but this is the first time to be able to work with a financial advisor they gave me a graph that said, you do this, and this is probably what you end yep. up with. Yep. And so it wasn't just, I'm just throwing money in a hole yep. in the hopes that at some right. point it will be enough that right. I can stop working. This is like, well, no, this will this is projected. This is probably what you're going to get. So Well, and, and to visualize it, I mean, as we talked about earlier, you know, teaching people things, if it's a game or if it's mm-hmm. some kind of a, um, a unique story and you see this graph on the screen and you go, oh, wow, I could have, you know, a million and a half dollars in 10 years. That's cool. Yep. Right. And so it's better than saying, I'm going to toss it in and hope it grows. You know, right. you can get that goal yes. put together. So And it, and you can see the levers of if I do this and, I, and then yeah. I do that, what right. what happens, yeah. those kind of things. There's a, a cause and effect to that. Yeah, uh, I really want the motorhome. Well, do you want to work, you know, five more years? You want the motorhome. You're going to have to grind through a few more levels. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What have you liked through your career? What have you, what have you enjoyed the most about it? I think it comes back to the helping people. And, you know, one of the things that really impacted me was my mom's family had a big ranch early, early 1800s, mm-hmm. um, had the first real brand that was used in South Dakota. So in the 60s, when we moved back from California, my folks taught at a little school. They're both teachers. It was next to the ranch. And my great grandmother, like my dad, he was a very strong leader. She hired him to run the ranch. And when he saw kind of the whole operation and worked through it, he told her, you know, you have a legacy here. You have the oldest brand in South Dakota. You have 30,000 acres. You should incorporate this so it goes on. Mm-hmm. 
And my great-grandmother had seven children. My grandfather and his brother were the cowboys. They stayed. Mm -hmm. They both went to school. They believed in education. All of them went to school. The rest of them was, one was a dentist, some music teacher, one was a doctor. And what happened is they were so greedy that they convinced her not to incorporate. And when she died, that place just blew up. It went away. Mm -hmm. And... Found out later there was like 200 exhibits and a five-year court fight over it. Jeez. So it was sort of my goal when we started working with ag people to help them survive and transition because there's so many legacy places in western South Dakota, Wyoming, Nebraska, I mean, you name it, where people have been there and sacrificed and created something and they've been able to keep it. And there's many examples of those that haven't been able to. So I think it's been very strong goal of the firm is to help family or legacy businesses survive to the next generation. So we've done it with tourist businesses, ranches, manufacturing, you you can kind of name it and that's been one of our goals and that's very satisfying to help people survive that kind of a traumatic change, help them plan it out, help them figure out the estate taxes. So that's been very satisfying. Yeah, there's a lot that happens on the ag side, Mm -hmm. financial crises is all kinds of yep. things, huge changes, sweeping legislation. Yep. It feels like every year there's something that mm-hmm. affects the ag community in a major way. Well, and frankly, it's happened here with the firm. Yeah. I mean, at one time I owned 70% of the firm mm-hmm. uh, with a few partners, and that transition was critical to have the firm where it is now. Right. You know, where we have multiple partners, multiple offices, and we spread out across, you know, four or five states. It would have been easier to to say yes to Ide Bailey or to McGladry Pullen or whomever. I mean, they they all would come and talk because mm-hmm. Dunmar Short became McGladry Pullen and then McGladry Pullen went away. Mm. So all of a sudden, there's two firms in Western South Dakota of any size, and all along we've had overtures from other firms to right. sell. And the attitude is we don't want to. I mean, I'm very proud to say that my fellow partners. Uh, shareholders were able to buy me out and add other shareholders and continue that. And I hope and pray it keeps up. Yeah. I mean, partially that's why I hang out here. <laughs> it's just to, you know, if I can be a help to go that way, I'm going to do it. Was that, uh, was that a challenging transition to go from kind of being the guy who was in charge to letting go of that control and seeing what happened thereafter? Yes. Okay. I, would, I would have to be absolutely honest. Yes, it was. But it was also important enough to me to say that this firm stayed intact to let go to have other managing shareholders to have new shareholders come in and to kind of step back and say you know even though your name's on the door you're not it right you know you're not everything you can't be and and that was a growth time for me but it was very healthy and like i say knock on wood uh, the firm's doing very very well and um, i'm just proud of that it could have easily become, we could have become part of Cadle. Right. Could have become part of Ide Bailey, um, Brady March of North Dakota. I mean, there's been a lot of people that wanted to be here, but we've just said, no, we like our flexibility. We like our entrepreneurship, our innovation, and, and we want everybody to feel like they're part of a family and a team, not just another office in a chain. Oh and I God. hope the people in Nebraska don't feel like that's where they are because <laughs> they're not. They're great people to work with. Absolutely. Great and being in business for, you know, 45 years now, you said one of your favorite things was 
helping clients with those transitions and Mm -hmm. huge life events. I mean, when you're in business that long, I'm sure we've seen some success stories of of those successful transitions. Yes, we really have. And we've seen some blow up. Yeah, and some failures too. I mean, but I think we've, in the main, helped people more than we've seen blow ups. And some of the blow ups, you know, that are kind of public, we weren't really involved in some of the family issues that have come up. But Sometimes you see things from afar and you're just like, whatever that is, don't want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> just going to learn yeah. that lesson right yeah. here. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> and been there, done that. I know what's happening even though you don't know. You just can kind of guess given. I mean, one of the classics is you get all of the kids off the ranch except one. Oh, yeah. And they stay forever to work and they're not paid much and they go through the winters and the others are engineers, doctors or whatever. They live in California or Florida. And so to them, real estate is worth X amount because it's just there. Right. A rancher has to say it's worth X amount because I can only make so much. Right. Mm-hmm. This is my livelihood. Yeah. This is my entire life. Yeah. And so you get that conflict between those family members, and that's very difficult. Yeah. Really difficult. There's a lot of emotions, and yep. those are it's a very hard thing to try to quantify. Yeah. You said your family had the oldest brand in South Dakota? I think so. On a lighter note, is that brand in the cafe at Waldrug? Yes, it is. All right. Nice. Yeah. I'll, I'll check for it next time. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually under my name. Um the Open Buckle C, but the Open Buckle Bar, I think, is there. And um, it started before Fort Robinson was a fort. It was called Camp Robinson. Mm. And Red Cloud Agency was down in Nebraska, and that's where the native agency was where they fed people. And my great-grandfather sold beef to the Camp Robinson and to the Army. Um, wow. That's cool. He would, didn't know what to do. He was in, studying to be a priest at Notre Dame, and he came west with a cattle drive, said, I'm going to go have a, get an opportunity. So that's where some of the adventure that I think I feel came from. Yeah. He came out here and he started a butcher shop in Custer, and then they chased all of the people out of the Black Hills because it had gold and it was right. treaty. And right. he found three calves that are called Mavericks, if their mothers aren't around. And he said, I'm going to keep them, you know, opportunity. Right. And so he was camped and he didn't know how to brand them, and he threw his saddle out. And if you know anything about a saddle on a horse, it has a buckle underneath. Mm-hmm. And he threw it out there, and the buckle flopped open, and he said, I'm going to brand him with that. I mean, he actually heated it and branded him. Wow. Oh, cool. And yeah. that became the open buckle ranch. That's an awesome story. So, anyway. <laughs> that is cool. Trivia. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's awesome. So on the flip side of things, what in all this time did you find that you liked the least? You know, you asked that question, and I, I struggled with that, trying to figure out what that was. I would say that the most difficult thing at times is is trying to make sure that personnel, people that work at the firm, are okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, this isn't any kind of criticism, but there's just all kinds of situations you run into. And when you're busy trying to manage a million-dollar book of business and run the firm, it became very difficult. And I probably wasn't on my best behavior at times, but I think that that's probably the most difficult thing. But when we, we got big enough to hire professionals, mm-hmm. yeah. that really helped. I yeah. mean, people that could take the time to work with people, to put in systems that are fair to employees, to, to make sure that we're in compliance with regulations and we're not making mistakes or doing something dumb or doing something mean. But I, I would say that was that was probably the hardest. Right. Yeah. Because you never know what's going on in someone's life. All you see 
is the results. Yeah. And so you just think from a rational perspective, like, why are you doing that? <laughs> I'm just trying to run a business. What right. is your problem right, right. now? Well, especially of, a logical CPA. Right. They're going, hey, wait, what? this doesn't make sense. Are you well, doing, why, are you, why are you doing that? Well, it, there's a lot of stuff you don't see on the back side. Yeah, it, it does make sense when you step into it. It's like, oh, okay, I get it. Oh, I get it. There's a lot yeah. of there's a lot of things in your personal life that yeah. uh, are kind of hard to maybe put in a box just to come yeah. to work. So Humans yeah. are weirdly complex creatures. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. One thing I don't like that's going on is kind of the divisiveness. You know, um, one of the things that we used to take civics, you know, I think we still do that, but probably in the civics light. But they always talked about compromise, you know, and working things out. And it seems like now everybody just stakes a position and that's it. There's no talk. There's no, hey, how can we come together? How can we make this work? And that concerns me. You know, yeah. I mean, I don't see that in our people and our team members, but, you know, you see it in society, you see it with families. Yeah. We're talking about those conflicts, and it's like, let's just go on and coach them a little bit and help them kind of come together and get it solved. So, Right. One of the classes I'm really glad I took in high school that was just a pure, I need to fill some time elective was debate. I'm glad I took it because it kind of taught you how to make your argument in a respectful way based on mm. just, you know, facts and statistics and... Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you were disrespectful or something, that was it. You're you're not winning that debate. That's mm-hmm. the end of it. But it, it seems like, you know, yeah. nuance is gone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nuance now is it's a debate gone. with uh, viciousness. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, win by, and, yeah, you get points by attacking the other person's character or yeah. argument or whatever. Yeah. yeah. It gets kind of <laughs> messy. Yeah. And then, you, and then you bring that into, you know, like your family transitions of businesses and boo. Yeah. 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 Really yeah people just stake out and they're not going to move and, and they they just don't listen to reason. And I don't remember the absolute quote, but I used to really like it. Wish I could find it again. It's hard. But it was something to the fact that arguing is the tool of the ignorant. Mm-hmm. And it was like, you know, that really makes sense. Um, but I, there was a more of a nuance there that not so much arguing, but sort of, uh, you know, just absolute not going to change is more the tool of the ignorant because they don't know any better. Right. So hopefully yep. we're all smart enough to compromise, work it out and or listen to the other side and yep. unless trying to advance your own agenda and just hear what the other person has to say. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's kind of related to, to that. What gives you hope for the future of the profession or I guess just in general too? You know, I guess that, that you bring up a good point that I'm going to talk first about concern and that is mm-hmm. that people entering business school, accounting school are down about a third. Yeah. And we all know here that it's so difficult to find qualified people. True. Uh, not only graduates, but people that have five or six years' experience. I mean, they become invaluable to companies. Mm-hmm. We understand that. We've always <laughs> respected our alumni that moved on because they had a better opportunity with a private company. Um, I tried it twice. I went to work for the oil and gas company mm-hmm. and went to work for Northwest Engineering. And one of the things I always felt like is once you go through the yearly cycle, there's not much difference if you're working for the same company. I mean, there might be some changes, but the cycle's the same, the players are the same, and yet in accounting, it's always fresh and it's always vivid. And so, you know, I'm concerned that we can keep hiring good quality people and keep them moving forward with opportunity. Mm-hmm. So that's a concern. On the other hand, I have hope that there's creativity, there's innovation, that there's enthusiasm. I. I absolutely love the fact that you're the younger people have this, you know, comment that I work to live. I don't live to work. And that's a big change from 50, 60 years ago and, and, and even before. It's not that 
people before were working just to work. I think they just felt such a strong commitment and there weren't options. I mean, you look at the options now of working at home and working with computers and before they were doing manual labor and doing things by hand. And now you can get an excavator that, you know, you could pull with your car probably and dig dirt, <laughs> yes. you know? So there's been innovation and creativity and that's, that's where I have hope. And I, I really respect the younger generation saying, you know what, this isn't my sole identity and this isn't, I don't have to work this hard. Sally is dead, we can do it differently. <laughs> yeah. And so that gives me um, a great hope. Um, I do hope that the firm stays local. And I know now it's regional, but it's still local. I mean, we know here in Western South Dakota that you can reach out and probably figure out who's in Western Nebraska within one or two calls. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and I hope it stays that way. And I hope that the team stays, you know, full of spirit. Uh, I love the fact we got together during a very cold time and a blizzard and, and celebrated this last weekend. And people were here from Nebraska and Wyoming, and it was great. So I hope that enthusiasm, the entrepreneurship and innovation continues. And you also wanted to talk about financial, sort of something we touched on earlier about financial health and helping people with mm -hmm. their personal finances. You talked about your sister and mm -hmm. people that are very smart in a certain way, but maybe not in a holistic way. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that a little bit more and, and your thoughts on that? Sure. You know, my wife talks about this professor that lived next door to them. Brilliant brilliant professor and and he would walk to and from work but they would set out this flower pot at his doorstep or at his driveway so he knew where to turn to go home <laughs> okay and so one day they moved it just to see and sure enough i mean he turned at the wrong spot and so you know and it's easy to do we have we have such specialty i mean when you look at the explosion of knowledge from say this post-world war ii mm -hmm. you know where you get the atom bomb and suddenly you I mean, my parents were the generation that saw, you know, no indoor plumbing mm -hmm. to the atom bomb and computers. Well, you see that explosion. And even since I graduated from college, the pronouncements in accounting and the tax law, it's just, it's blown up. Mm -hmm. And so to really be good at something, you have to really focus on that area. Yeah. And so you almost become... Well, you become ignorant, and I don't mean that in a bad way. You just don't know what else is going on in certain areas. You, you can't. There's just, yeah. there's too much. You can't. And so ignorance is a bad term, but in reality, that's really it. You're kind of dumb about maybe money, or you're dumb about your car. I mean, let's look at cars. We used to work on them even you know, at home, right. and now you got to plug it into something, and the tech's got to try to figure out what's going on. Yeah. So I mean, everything's become so more complex that people don't understand a lot of areas, and that's where we can help them. That's what we can help them understand. And I mean, we have checklists of things you should do, you know, 401k, health savings account, itemized deductions. I mean, just down the line where there's 20, 30, 40 things that people should do with their money. And you start saying HSA and they're going to go, what's that? What is that? Mm -hmm. yep. You know, and maybe sometimes they'll catch it. And there are some very smart people that are pretty good at being generalists, but again, they don't have enough time and expertise right. to drill down and say, how can I get the very best return for my money, for my effort, the best value. And that's where we can help you. And, and that's what we should be doing too. That's where mm -hmm. you go to a specialist for your vehicle, you go to a specialist right. for your health, you yep. can go to a financial specialist, yep. same kind of thing. Yep. And and we can, it, it would be nice. I mean, I came in the area where you had to do audits and tax returns. And so I'm more of a generalist. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's nice to have that kind of an uh, ability 
within the firm because then you can kind of knit all these areas together. You can say, okay, we're going to bring in Lori because she's good at estate taxes. We're going to bring in Laura Gillen because she's good at investments. By the way, Kevin is good at, you know, the family transition thing. Right. You can bring in that team and really help people kind of get the whole picture. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's really important for us to continue to do that. We do have specialists in every area, and that's, I mean, that's tremendous. And you know that you are talking to somebody who has hundreds of hours mm -hmm. of knowledge and experience and training in that very area that you're working mm -hmm. with. And, yeah, that's huge. That's really invaluable. You know, it was one of the things that I learned early on is that there were a lot of other single practitioners, not a lot, but there were other single practitioners that pulled off from firms here in Rapid City or Western South Dakota. But I figured out pretty quick that, you know, I was trying to do audits of schools and do tax returns for ranchers and corporations. And they figured out pretty quick that that was going to become very difficult to do, mm -hmm. that we'd better grow so we could get people that were good at X. You know, one of the first ones they had was John Mitchell. He knew ag because he was working in Nebraska. I'd been doing ag, but we really needed somebody to take that over because it was becoming a big part of our practice. Right. Mark Lyons, Kevin Agerbrotten kind of had expertise in healthcare. I mean, that helped that side of it. So it's been really important uh, to do that. You know, Lori Larson with trusts and estates. I mean, we go on and on and on. I'm not trying to pick on or exclude anybody, but I just figured out we had to grow and have a team that could spread out into these specialties and really make sure we covered them. Yeah, it's a good strategy. I will say this. I'm really proud of the fact that the firm is very marketing oriented. And that's not just to sell people, it's to give people answers and to give them an idea that they're missing something, mm -hmm. you know, that there is a, maybe a better way to do this. So you two have done a great job of, of giving us graphics, giving us tools, um, internal intranet uh, websites that I think are really important. And again, the, the firm is, I think, exemplary. That's why we get awards for our marketing. Uh, we get awards for our client, you know, uh, satisfaction. Um, we've done that all along, and I think it's been a key part of the success. Hopefully it's, it's tools for not only our existing clients, but just the community that if you have financial questions, there's yep. free resources. It isn't always that you have to pay us an hourly fee, but we're trying to provide a service to mm -hmm. our communities mm -hmm. have questions. So yep. yeah, hopefully that helps. Cause you know, it's, the, it's a tricky subject because, you know, it's, it's not something that in somebody's day-to-day -day life they're going to go out of their way to learn about or talk about. Right. So to be a resource for the community, yeah. you know, like Hillary said, you don't really have to sell our services. We just kind of want to make people aware that, like, yeah. hey, we're we're here, we're available, mm -hmm. and we're good problem solvers. Yeah. So probably 1040s HSAs and 401ks may not come up in your everyday <laughs> life. So yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, hopefully we've got some resources that can help you with. Hopefully that. it's a it's not a 201k. <laughs> yeah. Like when the markets go down, it's like, oh my gosh, it's half. It's half. <laughs> When your 401k becomes yeah. a 201. Yeah. <laughs> so you you had mentioned something earlier, and it just made me think it was sort of a realization event going from that, you know, being the name and the face and the person. Mm -hmm. One day I was writing a check, and we had checkbook covers that had the firm name and logo on it. And I wrote the check, and the lady said, oh, you're Casey Peterson? I thought that was a firm. And I went, yes, <laughs> it worked. <laughs> but, you know, it was it was kind of surprising to me that, 
Branding. I mean, individually, yeah, branding worked. <laughs> and that individually, I was a non-entity. It was like, cool. Ah, you know, like, because, I don't exist anymore, but yeah. the firm does. <laughs> yep. So that was just weird for me for a second. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I had a little identity now. crisis there for a minute, <laughs> yeah. but I'm back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I lost it for a second. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, thank yeah. you, sir, so much. This was yeah. really good. This was this was really, really fun. This was one of the fun. It was fun. Done. Yeah. I mean, I like Very that. much fun. Yeah. I, I appreciate it. <laughs> you know, people say, your name's on the bill. And I said, you know what? If you pay money, people I say. Many <laughs> different things where, you know, just, it's not anything special. <laughs> no, nope. sign a building, slap a name on it. Yeah. The last lot of stuff can happen for you. Just a monthly check. <laughs> <laughs>